You're listening to a podcast from Genesis Church in Phoenix, Arizona. You can find out more about Genesis Church at genesis-church.com. Thanks for listening. So good to see you all here this morning. I'm excited to preach today. You know, you would think that every week I'd get up here and be like, man, I'm excited. Most weeks I am. Some weeks I, it's, it's more of a, you know, an act of obedience. But today... Man, I am excited to preach. Uh, we are uh, almost uh, two months into our time in Acts, and we've just made it through the first two chapters of Acts. So if that gives you an idea of how long this may go on for a while, uh, there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So we're going to be here a while, and that's okay. I've heard great things about it. And in those first two chapters, man, a lot, a lot happens. Uh, we see Jesus uh, appear before his first followers, and tell them, hey, listen, I want you to wait. The Holy Spirit's going to come. I'm not going to be here. I'm going up to be with my Father. But I want you to be my witnesses in and through the world. When the Holy Spirit hits you and comes, things are going to happen. And it happens just as he says. The Holy Spirit comes. Those first followers, they go into the busy streets of Jerusalem during the festival of Pentecost. And they begin to speak the good news of Jesus in native languages they've never spoken before. It's a miracle then finally, Peter preaches to this massive crowd the good news. He connects the Old Testament with the New Testament. It says that he pierces to the very core of who they are, and thousands of people make a confession of faith to follow Jesus. And we saw last week as this new formed group. By the way, wasn't Dwayne great? Uh, Pastor Dwayne, great mentor. If you were here, if you missed it, go online and watch it. But talked about this newly formed group of believers they're just they're getting their feet wet. They don't need, they're, they don't even know what they're doing, and they they start to put into motion what it looks like to be this thing we now call the church in, in such a way that we two thousand years later go back to what they did, and we think that's who we want to be. I mean, God is moving in the first century among these first followers in ways they never possibly imagine. And so as we move out of the first two chapters of the book of Acts, we're going to begin to see what happens as the church, this new community of followers of Jesus, begins to find this new identity that it has. There will be highs, there will be lows for them, but along the way, God will take this movement called the church and allow it to reach the potential he always dreamed it could. And along the way, we're going to see stories like we will today that help to exhibit not only the power of the Holy Spirit working in the church, but the continued power of Jesus' mission to reach the world. The church, as it's been said, is the one organization in the world that does not exist for itself, but for others. And you will begin to see as we go through the book of Acts how that manifests itself in and through these first followers. You see, even despite Jesus' physical presence not being with his first believers he is still alive and moving among them only it's through these people this ragtag group of sinners just like you and me in need of grace who he begins to use to reach the world with the best news it's ever heard and so today we're going to come to a story that exhibits that and i'm going to tell you today one story from two perspectives, 
with the same results. Let me say that again. I'm going to tell you one story from two perspectives with the same exact results. Now, here, here's the thing. If you've ever read the Bible or read it much, uh, spent time in the scriptures, you'll notice that as you read stories in the Bible, they act like a prism. If you've ever experimented with the prism, you know that as light goes through the prism, it, it redirects light in such a way that colors emerge. And as you turn the prism, different colors begin to emerge. And, and the Bible acts very similarly. There are stories in the Bible that as you sort of turn it, you begin to see the colors of that story change, that God is moving in those moments in Scripture in ways that are often unseen, that if we, we turn it just a little bit, we'll see it in just a little bit different light. And so before I read this story, though, I, I want to do something that, that I don't often do, but I just want to spend a minute to pray because I believe that God has a word for you this morning, a word for you to bring new life in you. I, I sense as a pastor and as a father that, that as we have spent the last couple of years and all that's gone on in our world, that there's this, this sense of complacency, of not knowing what's next, that it, it feels as if we're kind of stuck. And I, I believe that through God's word, he has something new for you this morning. So I just want to pray for you as you hear God's word, as I hear God's word. Let's pray. God, we're in awe of the way in which you are moving in this world. We read these ancient texts 2,000 years ago, and we're in awe of how your Holy Spirit came and moved and used undeserving people just like us to do amazing things in this world. God, we want to see your glory be revealed to our world in a world that feels stuck and complacent and uh, uneasy and in chaos. God, we want your peace and your joy and your mercy and your grace to be tangible. So we pray, God, that through your spirit you would do something new in us this morning, that we would hear from you in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So open up your YouVersion app. If you haven't done so already, I really encourage you to do this through this series. Because we're going to work through every verse of Acts. It's going to be a way for you to just kind of keep track of where we're going. So go to more on your phone and then events, and you should find Genesis Church there. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 3 as well and read along as we go through it. So if you're not sure where Acts is in your Bible, it's about two-thirds of the way into your Bible. You should find it there. Now, again, just for context, okay, the church right now as we approach Acts chapter 3 is in its infancy. It's a baby, right? It, it's like barely cleaned off yet from the birth. It's just this brand new thing. But there's been this wave of movement through the city of Jerusalem. People are aware of what is going on. It's impossible to not be aware. Thousands of the people who came for one thing are now going to leave for a completely other reason. They had no idea they were going to encounter this person, Jesus. Things are happening in the city of Jerusalem. There is buzz in the air about Jesus and these precarious first followers of his. And that's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. You ready? The one person. Awesome. The rest of you, catch up. Let's go. Verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. 
As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Okay, stop there for a sec. few details to note of what's going on. First off, the church, though it has started, uh, we know, especially in the last chapter we looked at, that in the early days of the church, it was composed of primarily Jewish believers. And so they have continued to go to the temple to worship and to pray and to hear God's word. All of that is still relevant to their lives, except for the fact that they now realize Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. But they're being faithful in that. That is their act of worship as the church begins to start. And so in this, in, in this passage, we see devout Jews like Peter and John observing prayer at the temple. This happened three times per day, at 9 a.m., at noon, and at 3 p.m. And so being a good observing Jew, Peter and John, two of the first leaders of the church, they go to the temple to pray. They go to temple to meet with God. Well, meanwhile, because those times, 9 a.m., 3 p.m., and noon during the day, were highly visited by Jewish people as they went to pray at the temple, they drew a crowd at the temple. Many people who were in need would park themselves in front of the entrances of the temple to be able to beg for their living. You would see cripples and outcasts and leopards, 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 not leopards, not leopards, maybe leopards, lepers because of their condition. And because of their condition, they were deemed unclean unwelcomed into the temple. They were also unable to make a living since nobody among the Jewish community wanted to associate with them. Their only real opportunity to make an income for themselves was to beg. And it was a great time to do that. 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. during the day. Right? And seeing as giving to the poor was a high value among those who were considered Jews, they gathered near the temple entrances to pull on the heartstrings of those who were going in, including Peter and John. And so Peter and John are going to pray. They encounter this lame man, this crippled man, who is begging for money, something they would see all the time. And then this happens, verse 4. Peter and John looked at him intently. Peter said, look at us. The man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now, first, I I want you to notice just the reaction of Peter and John as they approached the lame man. In, In most cases, people would have just walked by this guy. No eye contact, noise in their ears, trying just to get by so they can go to the temple and prayer. And at our worst, listen, can we be honest? We do this too. We do this too. You know, I was in the parking lot of Walmart the other day, and there was this poor woman. She was just sitting on the curb. She was begging for money. Her head was down. And I just watched as people just walked by. Didn't give money. They didn't even acknowledge her existence, right? We do this too. Let's be honest. We do this too. And sometimes we feel uncomfortable. Like, I don't really know what to do in that situation. I, I get you with that. But, but look at what Peter and John do. They don't do that. This is, you know, passersby are going, and they're just ignoring this man. 
as if he, he wasn't even there. You know, maybe a few drop a coin in, but they're probably not even looking at the guy. They're disgusted by it, like, oh, just take my money. Let me go on. And yet the story tells us that Peter and John, the first followers of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked at him, what's the word? Intently. They didn't just glance at him. They looked at him with purpose. And then they say to him, look at us. Look at us. I mean, if nothing else, if nothing else happens the rest of the day, Peter and John want this gentleman to know you're a value. You know why you're a value? Because God created you. You are made in the image of God. And so look at us. Just like us, God loves you. Now, of course, the man gets excited in that moment, right? His experience is that most people don't even look at him. They might throw a coin at him. But these guys, they're like, look at me. I mean, he's like, this is it. This is the mother load. This is when it happens, right? Right? Bring it on. I got more cups. Fill it up. Let's go. Right? But sadly, Peter tells him, listen, I don't have any money. Not what the guy wanted to hear. Right? So, like, you know, we would all do in that circumstance. Peter does the best, best thing, and he just heals the guy. Right? Like, that's, that's kind of what we have to do, right? I don't have any money, but walk right like that's what he does but peter has this confidence in what god is doing and he sees this man this man created in the image of god and he just does what only he knows how to do he says look i don't have any money which probably he doesn't have any money because he's giving it to all the people that are now a part of this new church which the acts chapter 2 tells us about he's like i don't have any money but i'll give you what i do have which is the power of the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, raised Jesus from the dead. And then in verse 7, we see this occur. Verse 7, then Peter took the lame man by the right hand, and he helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with it says in the text that he's been lame since birth, which means he's never stepped inside the temple. I mean, can you imagine what's going on in this man's heart and hand? I, I have this, um, this image in my head of the man literally, like, running circles and dancing, you know? Imagine if you couldn't walk since birth, and then suddenly you were made whole, right? For your entire life, you watched as people walked and jogged and danced and played, and all you could do was sit on the sideline wondering what it might be like. I mean, the instance you were healed, I guess I would guess you would want to try everything you had witnessed others been doing for years. You know, like the running man, you'd be just like, yes, right? Or the moonwalk, you'd be like, woo! You'd be like, break, I ain't did break dancing. That's where we draw the line, right? Like this guy is on fire. God has done something miraculous in his life, and he beelines it into the temple to thank God. I mean, think about how this moment changes this man's life. Not only can he walk, but his status in life, where once he was seen as an outcast, 
and unclean, unworthy. He is now set free to be part of what the community, the community he's desired to be a part of for so long. And if that weren't enough, look at what happens next. Verse 9. Shouldn't dance. I really shouldn't. I'm sorry. My wife, I told her, she's like, don't do it. Don't. It was pretty good, though. For 43. That was pretty good. Evan, it's pretty good. No, all right. Yeah. Verse 9, all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they'd seen so often at the beautiful gate, walking by, no eye contact, roll coin. You mean that guy? It says they were absolutely astounded. Mm. For maybe the first time in the life, his life, that man is seen. You notice that? For the first time, all the people in the temple are like, hold on a second. That, that's the same guy that was sitting there, the guy that I ignored? Like, for the first time in his life, he's seen. He is valued. People are in awe of what God has done in his life. This man is no longer invisible. And I just have to imagine Peter and John are just standing by, like, all right, like, hey, John, it worked. Like, did you see that? That was amazing. I mean, at least in, in the book of Acts, this is the first instance we know of Peter and any of the first followers performing this sort of miracle. Like, it wasn't like this was just like, yeah, we've done this a million times, like, he just was like, the spirit told him to say, get up, and the guy got up, and he ran into the temple. Like, wow, that is amazing day for them. Now, I mentioned earlier that I want to tell you one story, two perspectives, same results. And in this story, there are two main characters. There's the lame man, the crippled man, and there's Peter. And each is approaching this moment in history from a really different perspective. But each experiences, get this, each, whether you see it or not yet, each experiences the exact same thing. Now let's start with the lame man, okay? We know from the story that this man has been an outcast for his entire life. He was lame at birth. His condition has set him apart from the normal Jewish community of the first century. Unfortunately, the text tells us he has a few friends, you know, who will at least take him to the gates of the temple so that he can beg for a living. But overall, this man's existence is spent in relative isolation with no interaction with God in the temple or the rest of the community. This man's alone, unseen, unwelcome. But the day that he meets Peter and John, you know, it's really just like any other day as it gets started. He's going to sit at the temple gates, he's going to beg for money, and then he's going to go back to where he came from. The majority of people that will come through the gates of the temple that day, they'll just pass by. They won't make eye contact. A few of them may acknowledge them with a coin or two, but most of them are just going to walk by, no eye contact, no smile. And yet, despite all of that, at least the money he knows he's going to receive that day will enable him to live for another day. But let's be honest, this is a pretty lonely existence for a human being. It's a pretty lonely existence. And yet on this day, 
the lame man meets Peter. And I guess it's possible the man has heard, maybe seen Peter before. I mean, after all, in recent days, Peter is making quite a splash in the Jewish community in Jerusalem. But there's nothing that indicates the man really knows him. It's not as if the man was like, oh my goodness, it's Peter. Uh, Peter, come here. There, there's no real indication of that. But unlike every interaction he has with those passing by, Peter and John take that small moment to acknowledge him. So much, again, that they demand his look at us. We see you. Look at us. Now, again, this would not have been a normal experience for the men. There must have been a little bit of shock. But, must, you know, nobody ever garnered his immediate attention in those moments. And so their desire to take interest in him could only mean that they were about to bless him with enough money to last him for days. Again, oh my goodness, this is it. This is the mother loan. Only, you have to imagine the layman is completely disappointed when they're like, we have no money, man. Like, why are you looking at me then? Why are you asking me to look at you? Why are you even paying attention to me? Instead, this stranger Peter tells him, I'm just going to give you what I have. And he says these words, in the name of Jesus Christ of the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now, now listen, Jewish historians like Josephus, who lived during the first century and wrote about what was going on in Jerusalem and the surrounding world, they, they write about the fact that many people would come to Jerusalem specifically claiming they were healers. And they would go and try to prove that they were healers among the crowds, mostly so they could garner attention, maybe an income. And so they would go to the temple gates, they would go to the pools by which many of those who were crippled would sit by, and they would attempt to perform miracles in their life. Happened all the time. And maybe once in a while there was a healing, and God was still at work, but for the most part, those people who were used as sort of a toy to try to get those others' attention were left in the same state they were before. So I have to imagine this guy sitting in a prominent spot in Jerusalem has encountered healers just like this. And when he hears Peter say, get up and walk, my guess is his first thought is, seriously? You're just another one of those guys? Like, are you just trying to kill my spirit? completely. You can imagine the skepticism this man must have had as he hears Peter say these words. You can almost envision this like eye roll. Like, gosh, this guy again? Really? All he wanted was some money. Man, I just need some bread and water. And instead he gets another phony healer trying to make a name for himself. But, but there's one thing that separates Peter's words from the words of every other healer this man may have encountered. And it's these words that cause this miracle to be fulfilled. Can you see the words unique to Peter's request? He doesn't say, be healed and get up. What does he say? In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. If there's going to be healing, 
it is, going, it is not going to be because Peter is some sort of healer. It'll only be because of the name of Jesus. And filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter uses the only name who can truly heal to bring a miracle to the lame man's life. And the rest, of course, is history. The man is no longer lame. He's doing dances from the mid-90s, right? Running into the... Some of you got that joke. I get it. Run, do I have to do it again? No, I'm just <laughs> but, but here's what I, I want you to notice from this man's story. He came to the temple for a few bucks. He left with a new life. And here's why. There is more than you would expect in the name of Jesus. Mm. There's way more than you'd expect in the name of Jesus. I mean, it's possible that you've walked in here this morning with very little expectation of Jesus. You're here because you're supposed to be here. You're here because this is what you always do on Sunday morning. You're here because somebody dragged you here, and by the way, if you are in any of those circumstances, I'm really glad you're here. Because I want you to hear this this morning. I want you to hear this. And like the lame man, you may have sat down this morning with little expectation that this moment, this morning, is going to make any difference in your life. That when you hear the name of Jesus, nothing is going to change. You sat down with little expectation that he is going to come through for you. Your marriage is suffering. Your finances are in disarray. Your kids are all over the place. You feel empty inside. The addiction is killing you. And the last place you think you could expect any sort of change is right here this morning in the name of Jesus. But I want you to ask the lame man in this story this morning what you could expect from the name of Jesus. Because I believe he will tell you there's way more than you'd expect. It's way more than you would expect in the name of Jesus, which brings me to Peter. I told you, one story, two perspectives, same results. Because on the other side of this story is the first leader of this newly found church. I mean, Peter is in deep right now. right? He's being questioned by religious leaders of his day. He has a community of nomads, crazy people who are living together, trying to figure this whole thing out called the church. And he has this newfound reputation for being this spokesperson for the people of Jesus. There's a lot of pressure on Peter. I mean, have you ever started doing something only to realize you have no idea what you're doing? This is where Peter is right now. This is the same guy that cut an ear off when Jesus was confronted by the religious elite. Right? He's a little bit erratic. He has no idea what he's doing. This is where Peter is as he goes to the temple to pray. My guess is that Peter's the first one into the temple, and he's the last one out. Because he's like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. You, you put this on me, and I have no idea what you're doing. So he and John are taking time out of their busy schedule to go to the one thing they know they need. They need prayer. And so they beeline it to the temple at 3 o'clock to pray with other believers and center their lives on the word of God and the work of Jesus. And as they do, they're interrupted by this man at the entrance 
something they see every time they go to the temple, right? They go three times a day. These people are out and about every time they go, right? And it's likely they've even seen this man before, and they've walked by without acknowledging him. But on this day, something tells Peter, get this man's attention. And of course, the one day he does, Peter doesn't have the one thing the man wants. I need some money. Literally have no money. I just gave it to somebody else. So in a moment of brevity, Peter kind of vamps, right? He's like, listen, I, I don't have any. I, I, I'll tell you what I do have. I have nothing right now, but I'll tell you what I do have. He may have no money, but he has been on a roll with this power of the Holy Spirit thing and the name of Jesus thing, so he does something he hasn't done really yet or seen since Jesus ascended to heaven. He attempts to heal the man. Now listen, Peter knows this is a gift. Jesus told them they would have this power to heal and do miraculous signs, but it's not as if he's done it very often. This is a risky moment for Peter. There's no guarantee that this is going to work if he does it now. But Peter, in faith, says, listen, I don't have any money, but I'm going to give you what I have. I'm going to give you the name of Jesus. And by simply offering the man what he has, Peter witnesses a miracle. He grabs the man by the hand and lifts him to his feet. Peter went to the temple to pray and walked away witnessing the healing power of Jesus. Why? Because there's more than you'd expect in the name of Jesus. Listen, when you decide to follow Jesus, the Bible says you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have exactly what is needed to be a miracle worker in the world. We don't think of ourselves like that very often, do we? Peter doesn't have any money. He doesn't have any work. He barely has any energy, right? But he does have the name of Jesus and the power that he knows is associated with it. And so I don't care if you are rich or poor, educated or uneducated, old or young, popular or wallflower, a new believer or a longtime believer, you've been given exactly what you need. Just like Peter, you've been given exactly what you need to be a miracle worker in your own world. When you put to, put to use what you have, no matter how big or small, I want you to do so with great expectation. When, when we only have a hug to give, we should do so with great expectation. Because you know what? There's more than you'd expect in the name of Jesus. When we only have knowledge to give, we, we should do so with great expectation. When we only have our hands and our skills to give, we should do so with great expectation. When we sit with a teenager and are only able to listen to them and we don't understand what they're talking about, we should do so with great expectation. Because there is more than you would expect in the name of Jesus every single time. You know, when, when Kristen and I many years back, 10 years back or so, we're just getting started uh, planting a church in Las Vegas. Uh, we had a gathering of about 20 or so people, and, and really, we started the church from the ground up. It was just 
you know, it was our family, uh, our dog, who we counted in those early days, and two other, three other people. I mean, that was it. And gathered in our home, we're like, how are we going to do this? Much like what's going on here. And eventually we became this group of 20 people, and we were headed toward launching this church. And so we gathered together, and as we sat in the circle, we, we talked about, hey, look, how has God gifted you? Like, what do you have that you could use to be a miracle worker in and through this church? And so we went around, and people were like, you know, I've been a teacher all my life, and I love kids. I could really help with that. And, hey, you know what? Like, I work at technology. I can help us on Sunday mornings, you know, the AV stuff. And, hey, you know, I've led small groups, so I could do that, right? And we're going around, and it's a mixture of people. And then we get to this guy named Dave. And Dave was a newer Christian. He, he had just come to our church. He was invited. Um, he had spent most of his young adult life smoking weed and skateboarding that's just who he was and church was sort of new to him and he really wasn't sure if he fit in but he liked Jesus he really liked Jesus and and he liked us so he kept hanging out and, and when we got to him when it was his turn these were his ver his words verbatim he says I really only know how to do two things skateboard and make sandwiches all I know how to do. Now, granted, he was an employee at Subway, so that made sense. And in so many ways, that really was all he did. He skateboarded and he made sandwiches, and we all sort of laughed. But as we did, I, I realized that Dave was sort of serious, and, and so I offered a time to meet with him. And, you know, Dave ended up hanging out at our church for years, and in that time, I can tell you that Dave experienced more than he expected in the name of Jesus. I mean, not only did he become a Peter of his own right among the skateboarding community in Las Vegas, but he became a critical part of helping our church move forward. I remember at the launch of our church, we wanted to do something really unique. And so he helped organize a skateboarding exhibition in our parking lot. Here's a picture of him and some of his friends. This is me. If you show the next picture. Yeah, that's me. I'm just kidding. That's Dave. That's Dave. And a couple of years later, Dave married his now wife, Tigra. They have two beautiful boys growing up on skateboards. They're leaders in their church. He's continuing to have an impact in a cult subculture that most of us would never be able to enter into. I wish I had told Dave what I'm telling you today when I met with him. I, I wish I had told him, Dave, there is more than you'd expect in the name of Jesus. But you know, I guess I didn't really have to. He just found it on himself. And I am telling you today, whether as you hear this story, you're like, man, I feel like that guy at the gate. I feel lonely. I feel unworthy. I feel like I have no value. I feel unseen or whether you resonate with Peter, where you're walking around going, God, I don't know what to do. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like uh, you're calling me to do something. I, I know that your spirit is real. I know that you are real, but I'm not really sure what I have. I mean, what do I really have? All I really know how to do is make sandwiches and skateboard. Whether you fit into one of those categories or both, I just want you to hear that again. There's more be expected in the name of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? One story. 
two perspectives, same results. I mean, no matter how you're approaching this story today, if you relate most to the lame man down and out in need of new life, or if you relate most to Peter unsure of whether what you have is enough, or if you have anything left to give, I want you to approach the name of Jesus with great expectation this morning. Because there is way more than you'd expect in his name. When you place your trust and faith in the name of Jesus, miracles happen in your own life and in the world around you. Miracles happen in your life. Miracles happen through your life. It's what it means for us as a community to be changed lives, changing lives. That we would be people that expect greatness in the name of Jesus because, well, that's just what there is. There is only great expectation in the name of Jesus. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I know we're going long, but just stick with me. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a new song. And it's a song that I think speaks right to the heart of this message today. It's called Too Good Not to Believe. Which I love the title of that song. Jesus, he's just too good not to believe. And the lyrics of the chorus go like this. It says, I believe you're the wonder-working God all the miracles I've seen, too good not to believe. You're the wonder-working God, and you heal because you love. Oh, the miracles we'll see, you're too good not to believe. That that would be our anthem this morning, and that we would do so with great expectation. The name of Jesus can do more than you'd expect, and I want that truth to sit deep into your soul this morning. Whatever you're wrestling with, whatever you're wanting to see, whatever you feel insecure about, all of it, Jesus can do more than you'd expect. Place your faith there with great expectation. Let's pray. God, thank you for the story of Peter and the lame man in Acts chapter 3, the way you exhibited the power of your name and your Holy Spirit's work in and through their lives. This morning, we have walked in here, some of us with great expectation, some of us with no expectation. And I pray in this moment right now that we would sing to you the wonder-working God to be reminded of the miracles we've seen in our own lives and the calling in which you've placed in our lives to be miracle workers in our world to a hurting, broken, chaotic world. God, may we trust in you and we pray that when we approach you, that when we say the name of Jesus, we would do so with great expectation. It's in his name we pray all these things. Amen.